Matthew chapter 6. Page 1504. And then page 57 in the back of the blue hymnal. I'm also going to change a little bit, or not change, but add a little bit to, to this, to our scripture texts for tonight. After I read Matthew 6, I'm going to read from Psalm 141, verses 1 through 4. Let's hear then from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking mainly at verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8 in Matthew chapter 6. We'll read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. God's word given to us for our good. Let us give our attention to its reading. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Then if you would, Psalm 141. That's on page 976. And the, four, the first four verses of this psalm, a psalm of prayer, a psalm of David, Psalm 141. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil to take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. We'll just read the questions and answers on page 57 here. 116 through 118, we've just heard the Lord's Prayer from the book of Matthew. So these first three questions and answers. Lord's Day 45, let's read the answers together with one voice. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part 
of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking him for them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing and humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what he promised us in his word. What did God command us to pray for? Everything we need spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. Please excuse me if during the sermon I need to address things with my cold, so bear with me, and I'm sure that uh, the Lord will see fit to, to bless our time together, no matter what happens. There is perhaps uh, no topic, no part of the Christian life that is as important as prayer. John Calvin, who is a, a wonderful resource on prayer, very wise, spirit-filled man, obviously had a very, uh, a very vibrant prayer life, called it the chief exercise of faith. In other words, to have saving faith means that you will be someone who prays. The problem, of course, is that our natural hearts do not want to pray, and our natural minds often do not know how to pray. It's for this reason that Jesus taught us as his people, how to pray. And he taught us why it is important. What we come to see is that prayer is the pulse of the Christian life. It is a household of benefits to which God has opened the door for us. It is an inestimable inestimable blessing to us. And we would do well to begin to remember just how much God seeks to bless us in this act of prayer. Young people, if you knew that there was a treasure buried in your backyard, and if you knew it was worth multiple millions of dollars, and not just that it was in your backyard, but you knew exactly where it was buried, exactly where it was, you would probably grab a shovel, grab a parent, grab a friend, and you would go dig it up. You would go find it. And that is kind of like what we have in prayer. Prayer is a treasure trove of benefits and blessing, and God has told us such that we know exactly where and how to find it. 
to find these blessings if we simply come to him and pray. And thus, what we are called to do is simply to make use of this wonderful means of grace that he has given to us so that we might enjoy these rich treasures that he wants to to bestow upon us. Thus, tonight, we ponder the, the subject of prayer. We will think about three different questions. What is prayer? Why should we pray? And how should we pray? What is prayer? Why should we pray? And how should we pray? We do so by considering together these two passages we just read in Matthew 6 and Psalm 141. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. But it is so much more than that. It's so much more than just communication. It's not satisfactory to think of prayer like communication between a husband and a wife or between a boss and employees. For in those kinds of examples, the nature of communication does not have the inherent blessings and benefits that prayer has for us. In most earthly examples that we can think of, there is a a give and take, a back and forth between two parties. And if we think about it, that really isn't capturing the wonder of prayer. As we saw in Psalm 141, and as we see all throughout Scripture, prayer really goes one way. It's one way. It's not as if God prays to us, or God speaking to us is not His form of prayer. When God speaks, we call that revelation. When God opens up the meaning of the Scriptures to us, we call that illumination. God's speaking is not prayer. In our text, in Psalm 141, we see there's a repeated emphasis on the direction of prayer being from us to God. I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. Prayer is not like sitting in a coffee shop and holding a conversation with someone else and having a back and forth between two parties. It's a a creature intentionally conveying a message to the only creator of heaven and earth. So it is communication, but it's, it's deeper than that. It goes beyond that. And that tells us something that should be obvious, but sadly, we so easily forget it. Prayer is something where the one addressing, that's us, and the one being addressed, that's God, have a massive gap of difference. God is not like us when it comes to his majesty and his holiness and his power and his might. And we are certainly not like him. There is, there's a gap of difference between God and man. If prayer goes beyond communication, what, what is something that could capture what it is? The heart of prayer, the nature of prayer, can be captured in the idea of life. Life. The life that God gives to his people in prayer. It's a way that we attain and enjoy the life that God gives. Prayer is the primary way outside of gathering for corporate worship that we commune with God, who is the giver of life. So we approach him, we we come near to him as the giver of life. And he bestows the the, the life-giving blessings that he is willing to give to his people in prayer. 
Psalm 36 verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So it's communion with God. Communion with God is better capturing what it is. Not just communication, but communion. It's how we enter more directly into fellowship with God. In prayer, we enter into the life of God, which He so freely gives by His grace. He revitalizes our soul. Revitalizes. It re-gives life, if you will. You could say it succinctly, which is probably hard to do when you're dealing with something as wondrous and as beautiful as prayer, but to state it succinctly, you might say something like this. Prayer is communion with God in order to deepen and enrich our communion with God. It is communion for deeper communion. It is fellowship for deeper fellowship. But how is our life found in prayer? How does God so freely bestow his benefits upon us in prayer. For God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Uh, There is no odor of death. How can light have fellowship with darkness? How can life be joined together with death? This shows why it's so important to pray with an understanding of the gospel from beginning to the middle and to the end of our prayers. It's only because of the gospel that God hears our prayers. It's only because of Christ that God takes delight in our communing with him. And it's only in Christ that he bestows upon us the blessings of life. We find only misery in ourselves. But God delights to give us happiness in place of our misery. Light in the place of darkness. Life in the place of our death. Thus prayer needs to be rooted in the gospel. And that is the result that we come to when we read uh, verse 2 of Psalm 141. It says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. We understand that this only happens because of Christ. What we do in prayer, our prayers ascend to God, it only becomes a sweet-smelling aroma because of Jesus. The book of Galatians tells us that because of Christ, we have gone from slavery to sonship. That in Christ, we are welcomed into this this communion and fellowship with God, a, a state of blessedness, grace. God accepts our prayers and they become a sweet smelling aroma to him because of what Jesus has done for us. This is why we pray in the name of Jesus. We end our prayers saying, In Jesus' name, amen. And that becomes a bit formulaic for us. And and sometimes we don't even think about what we're saying, but that is why we end our prayers that way. We pray in Jesus' name because it's only through Christ that our prayers are effective. Only through Christ that our prayers are heard and that they become a sweet-smelling aroma to God the Father. Prayer is communion with God It's rooted in the gospel. We can walk now through a couple of the components of prayer. You may have heard of of the acronym ACTS, ACTS, when it comes to prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's very helpful to think about prayer uh, uh, through that lens, those four things. So give you some examples from scripture. Prayer ought to begin with adoration. 
adoring God for who he is. Most of the Psalms take plenty of time to point out that we relate to God in a way that's different than the way that we relate to one another. And that's why prayer is different than just mere communication. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's not how we greet other people. We say that to God, how majestic is your name. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees a vision of living creatures and 24 elders falling down before a vision of the the risen Christ who looks as a lamb who is standing, although slain, And in Revelation 5, he overhears this proclamation to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He is immortal and visible, the only wise God. He is holy. He is just. He is ever-present. He is faithful. He is infinitely good. He is eternal. He is incomprehensible. He is indescribable. Psalm 24 calls him the King of glory. He is the Lord, strong. And mighty in prayer, we approach the God who commands the universe. Thus, it is fitting that we would begin with adoration, understanding the, the infinite gap between the Creator and His creatures. In prayer, we begin uh, to, in action, we begin to see what is expressed in Psalm 115 in words Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. To humble ourselves in prayers to say that we desire to see God glorified, his name be glorified, and not our own. Adoration gives way to confession, and it leads to that, doesn't it? To pray to God and to think about who he is and to worship him for, for who he is always leads us to recognizing a need for confession, to confess our sins. This brings us back, of course, to the gospel, the problem that we have of sin and alienation from God, the recognition that we are only placed in favor with God because of what He has done, His mercy and His grace. When we adore God and His divine personhood, we cry out, like with the words of David, against you and you only have I sinned. Psalm 38, of course, most of us know it quite well. Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. The old prayers of the church are so helpful when it comes to confession. We use them quite often in our worship, our prayers and confession when we gather together. Filled with phrases like this, we have sinned against you in thought, words, and deeds. We have sinned in what we have done and what we have left undone. There is no health in us. We have followed the devices and the desires of our own hearts. But the heart of prayer rooted in the gospel will always remember that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and that if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Adoration, confession, leads to Thanksgiving, because when we confess our sins and we're reminded of his mercy and his grace, we read in God's word, how blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered. When we realize how we have moved from slavery to sonship, we are filled with thankfulness, pours forth into thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul points out the need for thanksgiving in our everyday lives. 
when he's talking about how we are to flee from sin. Ephesians 5, verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Prayer remakes us into thankful people. It remakes us into thankful people. It it does so because it gives us a view of the world and a view of reality that we do not get if we go through our days ignoring God and neglecting prayer and living as if there is no God. If we live that way, when good things happen, we feel lucky, like the stars have aligned in our favor. When bad things happen, we feel like the forces of the universe are against us. It's paganism at best and practical atheism at worst. But when we allow our thankfulness to be shaped by our prayer, when good things happen, we give thanks to a good God who loves us. When bad things happen, we are reminded that God is still good, that God is still on the throne, that he is good all of the time, and that he is working out the best result of our good and his glory, even when we do not understand it. That's what happens when a life is saturated with prayer. A wonderful psalm of thanksgiving is Psalm 30. It says this, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. We have done all of those things, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. We can fill our prayers with supplication, supplication, which is, which is praying that, that God would see fit to bless us in various areas and spheres, to pray uh, for other people, to pray for the sick and the afflicted, that God would intervene, that God would see fit to bless and to grant. It's biblical and it is right to pray for these things, to pray that way. But it's so important to see why adoration and confession and thanksgiving ought to precede supplication, isn't it? Because when we do that, when we are reformed and refashioned through God's mercy and His grace and the gospel and we adore Him and we give thanks to all the things that He has done, then He starts to work on our hearts and form in us desires that glorify Him. But yes, it is good to pray this way. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 4 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul asked the people of the church that they would pray for him, that they would lift him up in prayer, supplication. Once we have prayed to God, adored him, acknowledged him and acknowledged ourselves rightly, then we can fill our lives of prayer with all of these things. We can pray for others. We can pray that God would bless and intervene. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? We should pray simply because God has ordained it for his glory and for our good. For his glory and for our good. God has ordained it. The idea that God has ordained prayer should be enough for us, shouldn't it? God has ordained that prayer would be a means that would bring about his eternal and his unchanging will. 
We rest in the sovereignty of God, but if we misunderstand the sovereignty of God, we can end up in a bad place regarding prayer. We can say, end up thinking something like, well, uh, God is sovereign and he already knows what's going to happen and he's already going to bring it all about, so it doesn't really matter if I pray. If we're misunderstanding the sovereignty of God, we might end up thinking something like that. But it's also true that God chooses the elect to salvation, isn't it? And it is also true that God can bring about faith in a heart of stone however he wants. But God still ordains that the gospel would be preached to save sinners. And thus we must do it as his people. And so we meet week after week to preach and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. See, God is a God of means. He accomplishes his will through these various ways of doing it. Yes, his will is eternal. Yes, his will is unchangeable. But he accomplishes his will through various means. And the special privilege of God's people is that we help to bring about that will of God through our prayers. This is a great mystery, isn't it? This is a great mystery of prayer. But when we come up to mystery in God's word, it's always better to obey God's command than to try to blaze a new trail for ourselves, to cut a new path. God has ordained prayer. God's will is eternal and unchangeable. We'll never be able to fully grasp that, and that's okay. But as we approach that mystery, it's better to rest in the command of God and what he has ordained. He has commanded us to pray. That is what we must do. A great example of this is found in James chapter 5. There we read this. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah knew that God was sovereign. Elijah knew that God was in control, that what was going to happen was going to happen. God knew from all eternity about the droughts and the rain, that it would happen exactly as it did. And yet, he involved Elijah in his work. And Elijah joyfully involved himself in God's working and acting in history by praying fervently. God has ordained it. God has ordained it for his glory. So God is glorified in prayer. We see how when God's praying people see his power in prayer, they give him glory. He is glorified in our prayers while we are praying. He is glorified through our prayers. He is glorified as he answers prayers. So while we pray and after we pray, God is glorified. In our earthly lives, there is perhaps no moment where God is more glorified in us as when we are on our knees praying, praying to God. Acknowledging that he is in control, not us. Acknowledging that we trust him. Acknowledging that we want to go to him when we are in need. God is glorified. He has ordained it for his glory. He has ordained it for our good. Question and answer 116. We believe that God gives his grace and his Holy Spirit 
only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking Him for them. Prayer is a means of benefit. It is for our good. We see in our psalm, verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 141, how our lives are kept from sin through prayer. It helps us engage in the battle against sin. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let not my heart be drawn to what is evil. He's praying this. To take part in wicked deeds with men who are evildoers. Let me not eat of their delicacies. This is the treasure of God's grace that is found in prayer. He has ordained it. He is glorified in it. And it is for our good. That's why we should pray. Because God has ordained it for his glory and for our good. How should we pray? In what manner should we pray? Prayer uh, must be uh, two things at least. But two things that we see highlighted in the passage with Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Prayer must be genuine and it must be grounded in grace. Genuine and grounded in grace. Jesus tells us not to pray like the hypocrites who pray, who pray just so that they can be seen. They boast in prayer and they want everyone to know how much they pray. Thus, it's probably not a good idea for the extent of our prayer life to be on a, a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or a tattoo that says, Prayer Warrior. Our prayer must be genuine. We are to see as much benefit in the prayers we say quietly and in private as the ones in public in front of dozens or hundreds of people. To commune with God is the express purpose of prayer. That is the benefit in prayer, communing with God. And that happens whether there are a hundred people joining together in prayer or one. We do not pray to impress others with how much we can appear godly. Prayer must be Genuine, must be genuine. Prayer also must be grounded in grace. We should not pray like the hypocrites, as Jesus says, but we must also not pray like the pagans do, as Jesus says, who heap up empty words and phrases thinking that it does them any good to repeat their phrase over and over and over again. We should not pray like the toddler who wants something really badly, and so he thinks that if he asks his mom 500 times in a row, she will finally cave. A good parent should not cave to such scheming by a toddler, and our Heavenly Father is not swayed by the amount of words that he hears. Too often we approach prayer with the idea of whether or not we merit anything from God that day. How have we been that day? Have we been obedient, good, sanctified, Christ-like? And we think that God pays more attention to what we're saying if we've been good that morning or that afternoon. Did we do our devotions? Have we been well-behaved? If so, maybe God will hear us. But a prayer grounded in grace knows that God always and only accepts and hears our prayers because of the righteousness of His Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. We cannot sway God with repeated phrases. To say the Lord's Prayer 100 times in a row is not like building up goodwill with the Father and eventually that's going to tip the scales in our favor. 
It's not how prayer works. It's not how prayer works. There are parts of the Christian tradition that tend to approach prayer in this way. But we must cling to the words of Christ, our Savior, knowing that our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask. So we dwell in between a couple of extremes. Usually the Bible places us right in the middle. Some people say that God knows what will happen and thus praying is pointless. God is sovereign, he's in control. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, so praying is pointless. Others say that we can sway God with how much we pray, repeated words or phrases. But a humble praying heart will see that God has ordained it for his glory and for our good. So let us pray with genuine and grace-filled hearts, bringing before him our adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. For he hears our prayers in Christ. He delights in hearing them and in communing with his people as he pours out his wonderful love and grace in the blessing of prayer. Amen. Father, teach us to pray. Enliven our prayers. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Empower us by your Spirit. We take great delight in going from slavery to sonship. Given a seat at your table. Welcomed into your house. And we know that because of what your Son has done, you hear us. And it is for that reason that now and always we pray in his name the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.